So my guest today, Jen Sincero, wants you to be a badass in all parts of life. And as we head into the end of the year and start thinking about what we want to make happen, she's doubling down on building badass habits. A past guest, Jen is the author of number one New York Times bestseller, You Are a Badass, which sold over 3 million copies, is available in 35 languages, and has been on the New York Times bestseller list for something like four plus years. Her follow-ups, You Are a Badass at Making Money, also a New York Times bestseller, and You Are a Badass Every Day, are written in the same sort of signature, in-your-face, kindness, irreverent, down-to-earth humor, and blunt practicality that made You Are a Badass a mega bestseller, and Jen a celebrated voice in the world of self-development. And now, she's turning that same irreverent, revealing, and deeply useful lens on the world of habits. So I've studied a lot on habits and read pretty much everything written on them, from popular books to research. And I confess, I kind of thought I knew what there was to know. But Jen really opened my eyes to some ideas that I never really thought about before, especially in the way that she offers them up. We go deep into all of this in today's conversation, along with what it's like to write books that tap into the zeitgeist and really explode you into the hearts and minds of millions, and how that can be both a giant blessing and also a bit challenging. Really excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we dive into today's conversation, also I wanted to share something real quick with you. We love our listeners. That'd be you. And judging from the amazing messages, we get the feelings kind of mutual, which is awesome. Sometimes people ask us, what's the best way we can support the work that you're doing? And my answer pretty much always is just share it. Let your friends, family, and colleagues know. 
share episodes, maybe even let them become conversation starters. That is where the real magic happens. And the cool thing is you do, and we love that. So we want to try a little something fun as a way to make sharing the show way easier and also give me a chance to thank you personally for spreading the word. So when you go to tinyurl.com slash glpfriend or just click the link in the show notes and follow the three simple steps. It'll take just a few seconds. And when your share sends just seven new listeners our way, I will record a personalized thank you voice message just for you. Fun, right? So head on over to tinyurl.com slash glpfriend or just click the link in the show notes now. You can even do it while you listen to this episode. As always, so grateful for your kindness and for being part of our Gleeper family. Okay, on to the show. In the article where I discovered that you went to Colorado College, I also saw that you described growing up in your household as if it was like the family dinner table was like a writer's room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have three siblings and they're all hilarious. And my mom is really funny. My dad, not you know, my dad's an Italian immigrant, much older than my mom. And he just sort of sit there and like nod and shake his head and laugh along with us. But it was cutthroat at the dinner table. And I remember if anybody brought a friend to dinner, they would just sit there sort of shell shocked, like trying to jump in. <laughs> it's like holding on for dear life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds it it sounds like an amazing way to sort of um, really develop your chops in a non professional way, but to sort of like understand that humor is this beautiful way to communicate, and also, I mean, it's like lightning rounds, right? It's like speed matters. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean it. I mean it. It was really hardcore, and it's interesting because as we've gotten older and throughout the years, we're all super different people, all four of us. But because we can make each other wet our pants laughing, like all the differences, it's amazing how healing humor really is. Yeah, I mean, especially at times like these, right? Oh yeah, sort of like yep. the go-to for. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people. I think if you don't have a, a like access to humor. Um, mm. through windows of challenge. Um, yeah. I don't know where you go. I guess some people go to solitude. Some people go to dark places. Yeah. But humor feels like it's this one just constructive coping mechanism. I think you're right. And I think it, it it's, it's almost um, cathartic. You know, it sort of cleans the slate. If you can, you know, if you're really upset about something, it's sort of the opposite side of the coin is of crying really hard, right? Laughing is sort of the other side of that coin. And they're both, it's almost like throwing up. It's almost like cathartic. And then you can start from a more calm, clean slate, I think. Yeah. I think humor and um, and tears are, or sadness are, it's like two sides of a razor's edge. <laughs> mm -hmm. They can tip mm -hmm. so easily from one to the other. But yeah, I think they do often... Um, share the same sort of like net effect on us. I think you're right. I think it makes you more available too. If you can laugh at something, you can take information in more easily. Personally, I think that's that's why I write my books the way I do, yeah. I think is because if you can have some humor and some lightness about it, it's not so scary and intimidating and hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, so you have, you know, this now sort of like a franchise of badass mm -hmm. books, um, massive successes and known for a really irreverent voice. And a really funny voice. Um, so, you know, the proving ground of the family table has finally found its way out. <laughs> but what's interesting is your story isn't this linear story of, hey, I, you know, like, I went to school, I got out, I knew I wanted to be a writer, I started writing books and boom, everything happened. There was like, there were decades in the middle 
where mm-hmm. um, you were sort of like Long wandering ones. in the will in the wilderness, <laughs> trying to figure out like how do I how do I you know like make this work? Everything from music to Europe to all these like different things. Yeah. Until you finally settle back into okay, so that thing that I actually studied and loved back when I was 19, 20 years old, maybe there's a way to actually reconnect with that and make it my thing for real. You know, it's sort of interesting and it's, it's so perspective is so funny, right? Like I was absolutely stumbling around trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I was pretty much being who I was and doing what I wanted to do. I loved traveling. I was in a rock band. I was knitting. <laughs> but for me, the financial piece was always the part that eluded me. So even though I was having so much fun, a lot of times I was just so desperately broke all the time and just you know, so with that, and I was writing throughout it kind of, but you know, the big non real big secret with me is writing is not that fun for me. So I, but I keep getting these great ideas for books and great ideas for things where I'm like, damn, now I got to write a book. Again. <laughs> but I'm not complaining. Writing has been very, very kind to me. But, uh, but you know, I, I think it's so important to remember that what you're doing when you're doing it has value that you may not see for decades, you know? So even though I felt as you said, that I was sort of wandering around trying to figure it out. I just kept doing what felt right-ish. And a lot of it was right. And I ended up using a lot of those experiences in what I do now. So I just, I think there's so much pressure on us to, to know and to have this very clear path and to really be solid in what you're doing. And meanwhile, it all totally counts. Yeah. And I mean, I can probably count on one hand, the number of people that have had that path. Right? You exactly. Know, it's like, that's who, such a good who, point. Who is that person? My dad. That's that person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's one of three. <laughs> right. But I mean, if you really yeah. think about it, right? I think a lot of those mm-hmm. people are people who are a generation or two older than us, where societally that is what was prescribed. That's just what you do. You know, so it wasn't even that that's what they wanted to do. It's just that was the acceptable way to live your life and put food on the table and a roof over the house. And you just kind of owned it. You're like, okay, that that is the primary role in playing rather than saying you're like, okay, so this is actually what feels right to me. Right. And if you're lucky, you know, my dad lucked out and hit on something that he loved doing, but yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You you had to choose right then and there. Yeah. So it's interesting. When, um, it's interesting also, I was, um, it was last year, um, we sat down with Katie Camillo uh, on the podcast and she has like this decade, she calls like her, her decade of wandering where she kept saying, I'm a writer, but really all she was doing was wearing like black mock turtle nets and, <laughs> and not actually writing. And now she's a, you know, like a, just a stunning, you know, like writer with awards and all sorts of stuff and movies on her books. But, um, but a lot of people have asked her, you know, like, what, like were those wasted years? And she's like, nah, no, like everything that allowed me to write the way I write and see the world the way I see it and experience it, it was all it's all gone into it. Like I wouldn't be able to yeah. do what I do and be who I am had I not spent that time. It's so true. And so I've really, you know, people always ask, you know, what would you tell the younger you? And I'm just like, you know, don't worry about it, girl. Like just enjoy it. It's, it's all good. You know, it all, it all counts. Nah. Um, you finally do back, you, you return to books, you know, I guess you hit your mid forties, you realize, okay, I want to keep doing this, but I need to actually stop living hand to mouth and figure mm-hmm. out a way to make this sustainable. Um, start working with a coach, start writing book proposals for different people, learn to coach yourself and start really building your chops in this way where you build a strong financial foundation underneath your ability to do, to do the stuff you love to do. 
and then you start writing books, you are a badass comes out and you basically take this irreverent point of view and say, why are there no self-help books that are just like real and funny? And apparently you hit a vein that I, I remember when we first talked, my recollection is you, like, you really didn't even see it coming. Who could see something like that coming? I mean, you are a badass was on the New York Times list for four years, over four years. I mean, anybody who thinks that's going to happen in their book really needs to <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Not at all. You know, I just, uh, it's, it is a miracle. I talk about, yeah, really hitting the vein right when it all started. I mean, I hit it and then there were a trillion other books out there that were irreverent, had bright colored covers and da da da. But there really is something to be said about getting there first. And, and I got rejected by every publisher with that book. So that's, you know, that's a big thing to remember is when you do do something new, it's not usually welcomed by people because everybody's so terrified of, of doing something new and taking a risk. And so You Are Badass was rejected by almost every publisher. Yeah. So beyond being able to gloat big time after <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> right. I say that with such reverence. Right. I just meditated my way through it. Yes. It was calm. I released all of my anger. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm I'm curious when when you have something that hits that big, on the one hand, opportunity, possibility, amazing things come your way. Was there any part of that experience that you struggled with? Yeah. The the hardest part for me was feeling like so profoundly grateful for everybody who bought it and who resonated with it. And then at the same time, feeling really violated by it. And I actually, this happened with my first book, even that didn't do anything ages before that book came out. It's such an intimate experience and I'm asking for it. I am writing like I'm your bestie. So all these people out there who read my books feel like we're besties. And then I would bump into people and, and it's, and again, I really want to stress that there is nothing more joyful than really connecting with other human beings on that level. But I had to struggle with it because I'm a pretty private person at the end of the day. And to, to realize that, oh, wow, when you share things and it resonates with people, they they feel connected to you and you better be ready for that because it's weird. It's like everything you want and something that terrifies me, you know? So that was definitely my, my biggest challenge. Yeah. I, it, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, mm. Especially because the way you write is not only your voice and it's fun and it's irreverent, but I would imagine that part of what happens is your voicing what's already in so many people's heads. Mm, it's like you're mm. giving their thoughts and their feelings and their beliefs voice. So you become not just, oh, like a great read that's funny and helpful, but also like you're like the person who is helping them express who they are in the world. You're giving words, you're giving language to them. And that's a whole different level of connection and also sometimes assumed relation. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. And, uh, and I, I think for me, when I'm writing, whenever I hit that part where I'm like, oh, I don't want to admit that, or just when I cringe, I'm like, that's what I have to write because that's the part of all of us that's so human, you know, we're all so fallible and humiliated and, you know, we've all got these things, but if you can admit it, and again, you don't have to share everything with everybody. And I've gotten good at that, I think. 
but you still have to be vulnerable in your in any art that you do or else no one's going to resonate with it because that really is what draws us together is this vulnerability. I actually write a lot about this in Badass Habits. I write a lot about boundaries mm -hmm. and vulnerability and all that stuff, which was really fun after this long badass you know, journey I've been on to, to be like, all right, I'm going to get into to that stuff. Yeah, let's dive into that. Um, so you got this new book, Badass Habits. And, you know, it was interesting because you start out the book kind of talking about the fact that you're like, well, okay, I've written, you know, like the first book and the second book and the third book, fourth book. What's missing from sort of like the body of work that really needs to be there? Well, habits. And, but then your first line of thought is, but I'm terrible at that. <laughs> Out of the gate, really earning your confidence. <laughs> Well, again, you know, it's all perception. And so that was my first just like, oh, God, what the hell am I doing? But I was focusing on, on the habits that I haven't mastered yet. Meanwhile, I have a bunch that I'm really good at. And I've been a coach for a million years. So I do know this stuff. And I do know how to coach people, how to, you know, on bettering themselves and sticking to habits and getting over their stuff. So you know, but of course there was just a pang of terror at the beginning because it felt like such new territory in a way. And then I was like, no, it's not you idiot. You've been doing this forever. So. Yeah. I mean, when you dive in, you start to look at like, well, what are all the things that actually have figured out and done right? It's like the, that, that volume of things far outweighs the, but we we're, we have that negativity bias, right? Mm -hmm. We just have it automatically to, to what we haven't done and what we haven't accomplished and what we're bad at. Yeah. When you think about habits, well, first let's kind of like let's define it a little bit, right? So when we talk about habits, what are we talking about in your in your mind, in your language? The stuff that we have on autopilot that we don't really think about for better and worse. Um, you know, it is this sort of handing over of the navigation of your life to the habit realm. And, you know, and this is the stuff I've been talking about in all of the books pretty much with like our thoughts and beliefs and words. You know, we always think actions are habits, but it's all the thoughts, beliefs, and words and perceptions. It's all habitual. So this topic ended up being way bigger than I was counting on the more I got into it. I was like, wow, this it's 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 new territory and it's everything I've been saying for the past decade. So Yeah, I mean it's it's um what's interesting to me about habits also is how much of what we do on a daily basis is automatic something from what i've seen different stats but over the years i've seen anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of what we right. do we don't even think about it right. just happens <laughs> isn't it incredible so what better way to spend your time is there than to get good at your habits i mean it's really and and it's that whole stepping back and becoming aware of oh my god my negativity is a habit you know whatever it is is like stepping back and becoming aware of all the things that aren't actually working for you that you've just sort of doop de doo you know, just do them automatically. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's also a really good thing that we have habits because I guess if you had to do all the things that you did all day long, intentionally and thoughtfully and deliberately, <laughs> it would kind of crush you. So like the brain has this really interesting accommodation system where it's sort of like it pushes everything it can into this automatic process. So it just, it like, it's like, it, it's, trying desperately to lighten your cognitive load throughout the day. So nice of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we get wrong about habits? I mean, when we just think in big picture, I want to, we'll mm -hmm. dive down and get a little mm -hmm. bit granular, but big picture, when we think about habits, you spend a lot of time thinking about this and writing about it. Um, 
did you find that like there were just big assumptions or big things that we just get wrong about it? Totally. Uh, the main one is that we tend to focus just on our actions and don't do anything with the thoughts, beliefs, and words behind the actions. And, and I wrote a whole thing in the book about your identity because how you identify is everything when it comes to habits. And it's so interesting. And again, it's just an awareness. And I can give you an example of that if you want yeah. me to go deeper into that. That'd be great. So for example, let's say you want to quit smoking but you've been smoking for 25 years, you identify as a smoker, right? So that's just part of your identity, whatever that means to you. When you decide to quit smoking, if you don't start identifying as somebody who doesn't smoke, rather than identifying as a smoker who is quitting, you set yourself up for such a much bigger struggle because the with the identity, and I can go deeper into that too, but with an identity, if so I don't, I, I picked smoking because I used to, I still love smoking, but I haven't done it in like 30 years, <laughs> but I don't identify as a smoker anymore. And so for me, it's all about the negotiation, right? So I don't negotiate about taking a drag off a cigarette or if, you know, maybe I'll just smoke tonight because I'm having cocktails and it'll be fun. I don't negotiate with that anymore than I would negotiate with drinking a bottle of vodka for breakfast because it's not who I am. So it takes that whole negotiation process out of the picture when you identify a certain way, whereas a smoker who's quitting is all about the negotiation because you're still a smoker. So it's that struggle that you're always in with it. So it's, it's, it's really, really deep and will help you so massively. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time on that in the book. Yeah, I, I thought I, I found that that conversation really fascinating, and I, and I actually do want to dive into it in a little bit more okay. detail. One of the things, though, is around it that I was curious about is, you know, we build identities that support behaviors and beliefs and all this stuff, and, and we'll talk about that. But externally, around identities, mm -hmm. we also build relationships and belonging. And a lot of my curiosity when I was sort of like reading your thoughts and deconstructing this was when we have built community and the sense mm -hmm. of belonging and acceptance, which we need as human beings to mm -hmm. flourish around this identity, being a smoker, being a this, being a that. And then we want to change that, which means we also have to sort of like step into or shift identities. How do you navigate? I've got to imagine there's so much fear built around, but that means that I'm not going to belong. I'm going to be outcast. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a whole social context, which becomes mm -hmm. terrifying. Yeah. I would have no career if that wasn't the case, by the way. Hmm. That seriously, it is the biggest thing that holds people back. And uh, it makes sense because as you said, we need community, we need support, we need to belong. And it's very risky to change. And you do stand to lose things with every change, but you also stand to gain things. So, you know, if you are hanging out, you know, let's say you want to quit drinking and all your friends are partiers and you quit drinking you're probably not going to hang out with those people very much anymore, but you'll meet a bunch of new people who are, you know, in line with what your values are now. So again, we tend to go straight to the negative. What do we stand to lose um, instead of focusing on what we have to gain? And I'm not saying that it isn't painful and it isn't challenging to, to lose certain people in your lives. I certainly have, and I'm sure you have with changes you've made, but, but I'm okay. You know, and I've met so many great new people and, uh, and kept a bunch of old people who've, you know, gone along with me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, th that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I, I sometimes wonder whether, you know, an interesting approach is to, to anticipate 
that you're going to lose people mm-hmm. and then literally start to build, like kind of say like, okay, so who are the people that I would associate with when I become this person who I, when I shift identities, like what is that community and start to try and step into it beforehand. So instead of like loss, you know, the abyss wandering around uh-huh. and then finding new people, it's like you, you kind of start to front load them um, while you're actually, so there's like this balance where you're losing some, but it's simultaneously you're gaining some. Excellent advice. And the other thing that'll do is it'll keep your belief strong that it's even possible because you'll be surrounded by other people who are doing it. It's like playing tennis with someone who's better than you. Like it's always, it's always best to do that just to build up your, your muscles. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's starter pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping as a special offer for our listeners new customers get five dollars off a lumi starter pack with the code goodlife at lumideodorant.com don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness that equates to over 40 percent off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code goodlife Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere ribbed beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman, 
and to pass savings to customers. I actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP for free shipping on your order and a 365-day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash GLP to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash GLP or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. Let's go a little bit deeper into this idea of actually shifting identity though, mm. um, because it's easy to say, okay, so right. I'm just going to tell myself, well, now I am a smoker who is, you know, like quitting smoking. Let's uh, take me under the hood a little bit more in terms of like process. What are the things that we actually look at there? Mm. So it comes down to specifics as everything does really, because we get very vague and that's when we really screw ourselves over. Cause it's like, I identify as a non-smoker now. And then nothing happens. <laughs> so getting specific about ways in which you identify as a smoker. So you have to look at who you're hanging out with, your thoughts, your beliefs and words. And it's so funny. It's like, I feel like I repeat myself all the time, but it really does come down to the same stuff over and over and over. So when you want to shift your identity, you need to start acting as if, right? So find somebody who doesn't smoke. Who's, who's never smoked a cigarette in their life and pick out the specifics of how they think, how they hold themselves, what they do, how they hang out, what they talk about. You know, it, it really is just getting all of these specific things in line and noticing what smokers think and talk about and how they act and what they do and making conscious choices around those things and, you know, really getting those muscles strong and catching yourself. And I, and I talk a lot about mantras also, which I have found to be super duper helpful. So just when you catch yourself with your old mantra of, man, I'd kill for a cigarette, if that's your sort of thing that goes through your head all the time, to have something at the ready that has a lot of emotional and felt stuff going on in it for you that you can counteract that with when it comes up, because it's going to come up all the time. And that'll just start, you know, at first it may sound like a bunch of malarkey, but you just keep beating yourself with it over and over and over and over and over. And pretty soon, you know, everything starts to line up in place, but it's, it's a process for sure. It doesn't happen overnight, but it comes down to the specifics of your beliefs, thoughts, words, and actions. Yeah. And I would imagine, um, and that makes perfect sense to me. It's sort of like, you, you got to work it from the inside out language mm -hmm. is part of it, but it's also the beliefs and the thoughts of what are you actually thinking? And finding those exemplars, like the way you described it, um, and then trying to kind of model, like deconstruct what they, what are they doing, but also like talking to them about like how they see the world, like what are they thinking mm -hmm. about, what do they believe, and to start to sort of like figure out how to adopt those. The idea of a mantra is kind of fascinating to me. Um, and I know you write about that in one of the chapters as well. And that's kind of been a part of your practice, mm -hmm. not just in habits, but I know for years from the beginning is your very language oriented and very like, let's define specifically where we don't want to be, but also where we do want to be and mm. then loop it on repeat. Right. What happens when we do that? Well, I mean, think about it. So many people talk about how, you know, my whole life I thought I was so stupid because my mother said I was stupid all the time. Right. We hear stuff like that all the time. You could be a 
you know, Einstein, but your mother said you were stupid. So you got that on repeat, created a rut. You looked for proof of that, right? I also have a whole section in the book about how humans love to be right. And we, I think it's so fascinating looking at that. That's, that was such a fun part to write because it really is so true. We need to prove that we are right, even if it is about something that we hate. So for example, this is, and this is why mantras are so important when I talk about this in all of my books, but because money was my big, you know, brick wall, I went from saying all the time, I can't afford it to money flows to me easily and freely. And one of the things that was so important about that is I spent my whole life subconsciously proving that I can't afford it. And when I shifted my mantra and my focus and my identity, because I still wanted to be right, I then spent my time proving that money flows to me easily and freely. It was such a profound, it made such a profound shift in my life that I, I blather on about mantras probably longest in the whole workbook section, but it's, it's important. And it, and it's such a simple thing that you can do that I found makes such a big shift. Yeah. I love that. And and what's funny is five, 10 years ago, I probably would have laughed at that. Uh, oh, <laughs> me too, for sure. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah. oh, please. I know, it's so corny and you woo-woo. Know, and, and then, <laughs> and then it's like, I have this sort of like weird split brain. And I think you kind of have something similar where it's sort of like, I'm open, but skeptical, you totally. know, and I, I, I'm willing to try it, you know, even if I don't believe it and allow sort of like just to practice to prove itself to me over time. When I first started thinking about like repeating mantras and stuff like that. I was like, well, eh, I, you know, a lot of the, the explanation around it was based in metaphysics and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm open to that, but I need something more grounded. Then what I start to realize, I'm curious whether you've sort of like perceived this too, is for me, what, what starts to happen is the repetition you lead you to in like probably like a thousand microscopic moments and ways throughout the day act differently, behave differently, relate to people in the world differently in a way that, you know, people in the world respond to you differently mm-hmm. and it creates different outcomes, like in, in itty, itty bitty ways that start to compound. So like I, I was able to wrap my head around it by saying, okay, I don't have to go to the metaphysical route. There's actually kind of a rational, practical explanation for why this would actually make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's like water washing over a rock, right? Like it just, over time, it starts to break down the rock. And so I, I feel like that is how, how we are in life. Like you hear something enough times and it starts to crack open a new part of yourself. Yeah. I, I was recently talking to um, Peter Tunney, who's this amazing pop artist who does these massive, massive things around words like gratitude and dreams and and he's been doing it for 25 years. And he was saying, like, in the beginning, this is a classic New York character. He's like, oh, my God, why am I even doing this? <laughs> 25 years later, he's like, I'm the gratitude guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's so. We're all so reticent to, like, embrace it. Because, because you know, I mean, I've read about this all the time. Like, I was so cool. I was a punk rocker. This stuff is just for, like, you know, hippies in balloon pants. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, yeah, I just, I was so, and especially LA is so woo woo and I was just way too cool for school, but there's something to be said for desperation. I just got so desperate. I was like, I will try anything because I am sick of eating tuna fish. So (laughs) (laughs) not that there's anything wrong with tuna fish. No, the the other day it was delicious. (laughs) My choice, however. (laughs) Right. Um, 
So we've talked a bit about identity, about shifting identity, um, mantras. Let's talk a little bit about sort of like the actual process. When you think about um, habits, um, there's a fairly straightforward, the, the process is fairly straightforward. Doing it may not be, you know, like sort of like as easy, but what are in your mind sort of like the, the critical components that lead to the creation of a constructive habit? Doing the groundwork, as we said, from the inside out, you know, really taking that seriously and then putting things in place to, you know, I, I did a ton of research on this. I actually had a course on habits years ago. And one of the things that I really focused on was ease and friction. Like those two things, such a no brainer, but if things are easier, you're going to do them. So, and again, it comes down to specifics. So making whatever your new habit is as easy as possible, go to the gym that's down the street from your house, leave the big glass of water, you know, in the hallway that you walk down every day, like put things in place to make it as easy as possible. And likewise, if you're quitting something, you know, don't have any cigarettes in your house, you know, don't hang out with people who smoke, you know, just get it into a, an easy place. And just, and it comes, and it comes down to like taking five minutes to really sit and think and be like, Hey, how can I up my game and make this easier or harder and really, really do that. It's so simple. You know, and it comes back to that thing where it's like this whole thing of changing your life. We think it's going to be so hard and there has to be some big nut we got to crack to make it happen. And it's really kind of stupid and simple. You got to do it. And it definitely sometimes you have to work hard and definitely there are our challenges. But man, do we love the drama around it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, drama. Yeah, drama. Love it touches stuff. in really easily. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about what you just shared is this notion that we tend to think, okay, so so using your, we'll go back to your example, right? I want to be a non-smoker. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm going to change my identity, not smoke. So the habit I want to create is not smoking, mm -hmm. but that's really not the habit I want to create because you don't create a negative, right? Like, that's so. So like, how do you? I mm -hmm. so you say I, I mean, but do you say I am a non-smoker? Or do you just mm -mm. like how do you how do you frame that? Then? Yeah, you you would say, and and it's different for every person, right? Because it has to have some emotional cord to it or it's going to mean nothing to you. So you've really got to find what it is. So I'm a healthy person. For me, when I quit smoking, I hated feeling in control of a drug. Like I couldn't sit through a whole movie. By the time it got to the end, I was like, I got to have a cigarette now. And I would just like leave the movie early. So lame. And I'd be like, oh my God, I hate nicotine having power over me. So for me, it was, I am in control of my life. I can create any reality I desire. So you figure out what the real hook is for you and turn it on that and make that something that you put on repeat. Right. So it's like the the repetition is really more focused around the underlying desired end state and the behaviors that would lead you there just kind of like follow along. They, exactly. They become a component of that. Exactly. Um, also interesting in the um, the notion of identifying this bigger thing, but then focusing on ease, you know, part mm. of this, I know you talk about this a bit. One of the ways to create ease is, you know, you talked about shifts in environment, but also mm. kind of chunking things down to the tiniest mm. possible elements. So we think about, okay, so I want to move through life and never smoke again, or I want to be exercising you know, like all day, every day, but we don't do that because it's too big. Right. Um, and, but then we're like, well, but putting on my shoes and walking around the block for five minutes is not going to do anything. So why would I even bother doing that? But in fact, that's actually the way it happens. <laughs> right. Right. And I'll tell you, 
I saw this all the time with my clients when I was coaching. Oh, and myself, you know, overwhelm is the biggest killer of everything. I mean, I can't, you can talk yourself out of doing pretty much every single thing on planet earth if you thought about it long enough, right? I mean, there's a zillion reasons not to and a zillion reasons why it's not going to work. So if you just chunk it down to tiny bite-sized pieces and yes, you can visualize the end result and get excited about it and see the whole thing. But you know, what is that? Like, don't eat the whole elephant at once. You know, you do it bite by bite, which is kind of gross image, but um, yeah, it's, the beast of overwhelm will take you down if you let it. So it's so important just to focus on practicing piano for five minutes. Won't kill you. Meditate for five minutes, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting to, um, I know for me, what's been helpful is to tell myself early on, well, what's more important to me now is just is creating the habit and and just knowing that once i actually have that loop kind of installed in my brain the behavior itself is just going to organically grow over time so that it will reach a level where it actually is making a difference mm. but not to not to set myself up where i'm like i can't do it unless the behavior itself is going to actually make an immediate difference and just kind of like first create the loop and know that over time it'll start to expand and actually make a more meaningful difference in my life. Is that something that you feel is like you've seen in your life or, or in working with so many other people over the years? I really wish I had spoken to you before I finished writing the book. Cause I love <laughs> that perspective on it where it's like, get excited about creating just the habit itself and make that an emotional attachment. Cause the thing is, we are emotional creatures. And if we have emotion around something, we will go do it. You know, I talk about all the time how rationally you can know something is a really stupid idea, but emotionally it'll be really fun. So you usually end up doing it. So it's that emotion that pushes you through it. And I think I love that, that way of looking at it where it's just like, I'm, I'm just starting a habit. So it doesn't matter how small I start. It's all about the habit and then it'll start to sort of take care of itself. That's beautiful. Um, one of the things that, um, that comes to mind with all of this also is, and you, you talk about this also is, um, you know, for you to create any of this, for you to be intentional, all of that, you got to have a certain amount of self-awareness, mm. which is in, in itself is a habit, <laughs> right? Which is a little bit meta and a little bit, I'm not sure if I feel like that's a good thing or a bad I thing. know, I know. Once you start looking at habits, it's bonkers, right? It's like, damn, they're everywhere. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's why everything starts with awareness. And and I think though, by the time you're going to pick up a book, like any of my books or any habit books, you're already available to look at yourself. I think if you're really gonna try to better yourself, I would hope that you're available to start being aware of, of really pulling back and being like, Oh, you know, Maybe hanging out with so-and-so isn't helping me, or maybe I am responsible for A, B, C, and D. And, you know, finding awareness and busting yourself and making better choices in the moment, you know, you have to, you have to have some self-awareness or, or you're just going to be in that autopilot habit of being a victim and, you know, feeling like you have no control over your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think awareness is is the ultimate meta skill for everything yes, in life. Totally. Um, because nothing happens intentionally unless and until you have it. Mm -hmm. You may end up like, you know, accomplishing cool things, but you won't really understand why or how mm -hmm. to repeat it or how to share it. The the other thing that that I'm curious about is um when I think about awareness or self-awareness, I've recently been sort of 
deconstructing it into two different things. I have a lot of about a decade long um, mindfulness meditation practice that I didn't yeah. come to willingly. I came mm -hmm. to because I was on my knees like most people. Right, right. And I was like, all right, <laughs> something's got to work here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I've started to realize over the years, and I'm curious about this because you've worked with so many people and that's not been an experience that I've had on the same level as you, is I feel like there is part of awareness is some sort of revelatory experience. And maybe you initiate it yourself. You're like you go out and you look for books or learning or education, mm -hmm. or maybe mm -hmm. the universe reveals it to you in a moment of reckoning. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is um, being open to receiving it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're kind of two different things and you can have one, but not the other, and you won't have awareness, you know, even if stuff is being revealed to you nonstop. Mm -hmm. So on the reception side, mm. I'm wondering if you've seen that be something that really trips people up, not not sort of like receiving what's being given to them. Right. Well, the thing that's so always amazed me is people would pay me all this money to coach some and then they'd be like, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, all right, you're not as available as you think you are. And certainly we all have areas in our life where we'll, we'll hear anything and, you know, do the work. And then we we've, we've all got these places where we're just quote unquote stuck because we can't receive the information and because we are attached to being a victim, because we're so convinced we've got something huge that we're going to lose, right? It's all about loss. And, but again, it's like that water hitting the rock. Like if you just keep showing up, you know, suddenly you're brought to your knees and you're meditating every day, you know, <laughs> like finally something will, sometimes it's just the passage of time and hearing it over and over and over. And then you have what we call an aha moment, which is just when you viscerally understand something you've heard 8,000 times already. Yeah. And oftentimes those don't happen in the way that we want them to. I know. <laughs> it's like, I remember asking, I've asked so many people now, I'm like, can you reach that moment without being brought to your knees in some way, shape <laughs> or form? And almost to the one they're like, I can't actually identify like an experience without that. I mean, not that you have to go through deep, profound trauma, but mm -hmm. it generally takes some like level of rattling to wake up. Well, we have to get you know, the discomfort, what is that great Anais Nin quote? I put it in one of my books. Um, the pain of, it's something like the discomfort of being wrapped tightly in a bud became more painful than whatever it took to change. That kind of thing. Like you have to reach that threshold because there is comfort in discomfort. There's familiarity, you know, and it's sort of like what we were talking about at the beginning where you belong and you have an identity and this is familiar and you feel safe and going outside of that realm of comfort and the known is terrifying. So that's why we cling to it even when it doesn't serve us. Yeah. It's like known pain is mm -hmm. more desirable than the unknown, even if it doesn't have any pain associated with it. Yeah. Right. We're so ridiculous. We are weird beasts. Yeah, I know. I was like a Bugs Bunny holding up that sign. Silly, ain't we? Right. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, one of the other things that I know you talk about in this concept of sort of like reconstructing new habits that are helpful is the idea of anticipating excuses and mm. distractions and sort of like planning for them in advance, which is interesting too, because when I think about the original introduction that I had around the idea of mantras, a lot of it also came out of this world of manifesting, which I have a very strange relationship with. And mm. part of it was, you know, um, never, ever, ever uh, think about or give language to the state that you don't want. Right. And in fact, that's wrong. <laughs> um, you know, there's, you know, because when you anticipate excuses and distractions, mm -hmm. you're, you're bringing, you're inviting them in, mm -hmm. but for the purpose of being able to sort of like reframe and plan around them, but yeah. it's actually really helpful. Absolutely. So it's sort of like, you know, I think a lot of people mistake this power of positive thinking as you've always got to be positive. Like you're allowed to use the sadness and use the negativity to help you and you're, and we're feeling creatures. And I, and I feel like we're also fallible creatures. And so when you bust, you know, awareness is all about figuring out the things that are not working for you and getting specific about the words, beliefs, and thoughts that you're subscribing to. So once you be, get aware of, you know, I can't afford it is your mantra. If you realize that you're like, oh yeah, you know, maybe that's not so hot. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that I live in a garage, you know? So that's, you need that. It's, it's your pal at the beginning because then you can, you know, make a different choice. Yeah. And then the process of, of intentionally anticipating excuses or things or distractions, things that'll trip mm -hmm. you up, you yeah. know, it allows you to, to sort of like own it and figure out how you're going to navigate through it. Yeah which makes you more likely to be able to actually do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, it's, it's so helpful to sit down, especially because a lot of habits that you pick up a book like mine for are habits you've already tried and failed at, right? So the good news about that is, you know what threw you off track the last couple of times you tried to do it. So getting specific about the things that you can change or put into place to help you, you know, when those distractions rise up, because they sure as hell will, uh, you'll you'll be you know ready for them, so it can be really super helpful to take the time to sit down and and figure out what those are. 
Yeah, I love that. Um, I remember a couple of years back, I was exposed to the work of um, Professor Gabrielle Utengen, who actually did in a lab, she analyzed how successful people were at accomplishing things when they just thought about what they wanted and went for it versus when they identified their potential obstacles. And most often it was their inner obstacles, the demons that you know, would very likely pop up along the way, planned for that and then went ahead. And there was a huge difference in the success rates when you actually went negative <laughs> uh -huh. and then built, built a plan in advance. Um, and, but there was something else that happened. And I'm curious how, where you land with this, which she said a lot of people, it, that process stopped them from initiating in the first place once they realized the effort that it would have actually taken, huh. they realized that it wasn't meaningful enough for them to even like want to put that in. And it allowed them to sort of like free up space and shift it to How do something great. else that did matter. Specifics nah. are everything. Yeah, that's, that's so that's interesting. Yeah. Nah. I know that's such a center of like what you focus on mm -hmm. is not talking in generalities. <laughs> yeah, it's so helpful. You know, it really is because... Because I also think generalities scare the crap out of us. You know, it, it makes things too big. It's like, I've got a trillion emails to answer today. You're like, do you? Maybe you've got 30. And how long is that actually going to take? When you break things down into specifics, it takes the overwhelm away. I really, and I think that's a beautiful story. Like, you know, maybe the habit you're trying to adopt is something you don't, you think you should. And so once, it, rather than something that you really desire, so when you break it down and you realize all the things you got to do, you're like, you know, it's not worth it to me. And that's so great to know because time yeah. is the only, time is the most precious commodity we've got, you know, it's time and health, but you know, it's finite in yeah. these bodies anyway. You brought up also earlier in our conversation, the notion of boundaries, mm. um, which I think is such a big issue. And I had never really heard talked about in the context of habit before. Mm -hmm. Take me deeper into this. You know, it's so funny because when I was talking to my editor about writing this book, I was like, oh, ever since I hit 50, I am just such a badass at boundaries. Like, I just want to write a whole book on boundaries. She's like, well, they totally have to do with habits too. You can put it in there. It's like, great, kill two birds with one stone. But it was so fun writing it from around the topic of habits, you know, instead of just doing a book on boundaries, but really applying them to changing yourself and how important it is for everybody involved. Again, because it's kind of about specifics. Again, when, when you get specific about where you end and somebody else begins, it helps everybody from just becoming these big blobs of murky you know, expectation and commitment and passive aggressiveness. I mean, it's such, I don't know about you, but the older I get, I, 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 I put this in the book too. My dad was like, you know, I don't know if you get older and wiser or older and just more tired. And I was like, that's so perfect. Like, it's true. I'm just too tired for the drama. And so, so when it comes to habits, because you are changing your identity, right? If we're doing it correctly, people are going to take issue who know you, you know, people like to be right about who you are. And not only because they like to be right, but because it reflects back on them, what they, you know, what they could change or, you know, whatever their deal is. So if you're not solid in creating the time for yourself to do this new habit and, you know, 
creating the space and the environment and all the things you need to change, um, it's going to make it a lot harder. It's really important. Yeah. What I found really interesting also, and the way that you lay it out, sort of like you have three boundary issues, you Mm. know, being too yesy, being too noy, and Mm -hmm. then too much control. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think about boundaries and they're, all they think about is the first ones. Right. I'm just saying yes to everyone and everything, letting everything in and it's not okay. It's not safe. It doesn't let me be me. It doesn't give me time. Right. There's also this really interesting other side, which is like saying no too much. And, right. Um, d- talk to me more about that. And it's all kind of from the same protect, you know, that that whole sort of like not wanting to be abandoned and not wanting to die, like at the very core of it. It's a very primal thing, right? So if you say no to intimacy, for example, you know, that keeps you quote unquote safe. If you say no to opportunities, it would make you grow and be more um, exposed. That keeps you safe. You know, there's a lot of places where people just deny themselves the things they would love and the things that would make them shine out of fear. And I think it's, and, and by the way, I think we all have all of these depending on the situation and the person we're dealing with, right? But yeah, there's so much more to boundaries than we think, because I do think everybody sort of goes straight to the one where you say yes all the time. Yeah. And I think I think the notion of um, boundaries as you know, like a set it and forget it type of thing is, you know, the rigidity that we all, we kind of think like, oh, like, hey, I'm going to draw my line in the sand mm-hmm. and that's my boundary mm-hmm. and that's it for life. Like I've drawn mm-hmm. the line. Right. It just doesn't work that way. I know. <laughs> yeah. Each situation has it. And, and I also think it makes it so scary. You know, it, it makes you feel like you're going to lose something again. And you are going to lose something when you set boundaries, but the gain is so good. You know, it really is about looking at, and, and I think it's so interesting, like, especially with this yes boundary, that's, you know, the big crowd pleaser, we worry people aren't going to like us unless we say yes to everything. But meanwhile, if you say yes to everything, you get resentful and grouchy and passive aggressive and they end up not liking you. And I think this is the cosmic joke of being a human being on planet earth is all the things we do to avoid pain are the things that cause us the very pain we're trying to avoid, Mm. you know, all the time. So like the intimacy example, like I'm saying no to intimacy because I don't want to get my heart broken. You're alone and you're brokenhearted because you say no all the time. You know what I mean? So if you just look at it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And and the third one also, um, mm. boundaries around control, wanting to control everything basically. Yes, um, right. Especially now, you know, like we we're living in this state where, you know, we haven't, sometimes in life we invite in uncertainty in the name of possibility, you know, like we were starting a new business, starting a new project, mounting a new show. And we know it's a scary place to be, but we kind of feel like we've said yes to it intentionally. Mm -hmm. And then we're living in a world now where we haven't invited it in. It just is. And we feel an insane amount of groundlessness. And I wonder whether, you know, we default to that boundary of just trying to exert control over everything Mm. possible because so much feels out of our control. And again, like when you start to, you know, it's the question you pose, you know, on the one hand, well, there's probably some good to that, but Mm -hmm. what's it taking from us at the same time? I personally feel like what an opportunity this is. And I'm saying this from, you know, the lap of luxury. Like for me, I know some people are losing everything and have such enormous challenges. But for me, I feel like exactly what you said, like, and I, and I, I'm going to say this for everybody actually too. I mean, for me, it's, I'm from a different standpoint, but I think all of us 
are being forced to reconsider reality. You know, it has been, everything has shifted whether we like it or not. And so everything that we take comfort in and that we can rely on and and that makes us feel safe isn't necessarily there. And so we are being forced to allow, which is, you know, and just let it be what it's going to be and become more, you know, it's going to make us all catch ourselves in things that we take for granted. And it's going to catch ourselves in where we are trying to control things and, I just think, you know, being forced to have such a massive reality shift, there's so many silver linings with that that um, I find very exciting. Yeah. And I'm probably wired pretty similar to you. And again, Mm -hmm. both of us acknowledging that there is a lot of disruption and a lot of pain, a lot Mm -hmm. of suffering and different Mm -hmm. abilities to, you know, do that with ease and not right now. Um, and I think it's important to sort of like you know, say yes. Um, mm-hmm. th- there are very profound different realities in the world right now. And still, you know, there is no such thing as disruption without possibility. Right. I love you that. Know, yeah. So you're either, you know, you may be the one that's being disrupted by the possibility, but like if you can ask the question, well, where is it? Is it accessible to me? Can I make it accessible to me? Mm-hmm. But again, that that means you going back to your boundary issue, letting go of a certain amount of control and saying, mm-hmm. I'm not only am I going to open to this uncertainty, but maybe I'll even step further into it in the name of trying to find something else. Right. And that's terrifying for all of us. Yeah. It's really wild. I mean, I feel like the air is more viscous right now. Like we're in this alternate reality. And I think that's very exciting in some ways. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. I kicked and screamed about writing this book in the middle of the pandemic. I was, you know, telling my editor, like, I can't even put on a bra. What do I, how am I, I can't move my arms. (laughs) I was such a baby. And she's like, oh, you don't know when it's, you might as well just do it because we do your best. Like, and, and I think because I wrote it under such a different, in a different reality, I think it's juicier in a lot of ways than it would have been. Who knows? I have no idea, but I, I, it has to be different, right? I mean, I was different. The world was different. So I think there's definitely things that were very positive because of the pandemic and writing in this state. Mm. It kind of brings us to, uh, I mean, the way you wrap the book is really, we're toward pretty close to the end, is just this notion of surrender. Mm-hmm. you know, which is a little bit counterintuitive in the context of habits mm-hmm. because you kind of think, well, habits is about me taking control. It is about me being specific and defining this thing and adopting like patterns and, and you know, like do, repeating these things and behaviors and thoughts mm-hmm. and beliefs every single day. And yet the notion of surrender is, an, is a part of the process. So uh, there's tension there. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, the whole notion of surrender has tension, no matter what it is in your life. You know, you do your work and you surrender. You do, you focus and you surrender. It's this delicate dance of both and the same thing with habits. Like you do everything you know how to do and you surrender because if we're going to get woo-woo on it, you know, the universe really does know best and you're being driven by a desire to change a way of being. And that desire is you tapping into sort of your higher self and when you get out of your own way and let this come through, you empower yourself to make it happen. So you do everything you know how to do and you keep surrendering into the emotion of it and surrendering into the desire of it. And that's going to help you as well. It's, I, I, 
I felt like I remember writing this part of the book and feeling like, I think I articulated it the way I've been trying to articulate it for so long. I don't know if you felt that when you read it, but it's like, I think I nailed it. I don't know. Cause it is even saying it now, like I'm, I'm sort of struggling a little bit because it is so counterintuitive and so, you know, clashy, but, um, but I do understand it. I just can't always articulate it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I wonder if like part of the notion of surrender in the context of habits is also surrendering to the notion that as much as we want to exert control, as much as we do all the things, like we check the boxes, we follow all the steps, there is a certain amount of just, we just don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like what we were talking about earlier, you know, and also like you have said, and you've written, these things take time. Mm. You know, and if you don't surrender to the notion that I'm going to just step into it and believe that this is actually going to make a difference and it may take weeks, it may take months and even take years, that is a profound act to surrender right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Just really, we have no idea what's going to happen in the next second, you know, so you got to just sort of go with it. Yeah. Otherwise you're in resistance, which is, you know, you don't want to be pushing so hard that you're pushing away the thing, the very thing you want. I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I love that. It feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. Oh, so great. hanging out here in this container of a good life project, if I offer the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? Mm. I mean, the first thing that comes up is being around other people and being in an environment that lights you up and makes you um, really appreciate this one and only life you've got on this crazy planet zooming through space. <laughs> mm, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Com, or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.